death wears many different masks. But pure evil wears only one. And this is your final chance to see it. to hell the final friday welcome to episode 91 of the horror dads podcast you're joined by your host john and jamie and today is very important because we are joined also by adam marcus director of jason goes to hell the final friday and uh he's been involved in a lot of other films too he you know is one of the writers on the 2013 texas chainsaw film uh, very involved in the in the genre, as you're gonna come to find and come to hear. And Adam's just a fucking great dude. So, what's up, Jamie? So we've been riding this like we're on like this crest of <laughs> amazing interviews that we've had. Yeah. Into like, uh, I think this is the the last one we had on the docket for just a, a minute. And for a minute, it's yeah. Just like, it's, we're still it's uh, surreal. We're up there. Yeah, truly um, is. Adam is like for horror fans like us. It's honestly, it's a dream listening to him talk about his life and his introduction into uh, film and horror and just everything. And it's been, um, we just got done uh, talking to him and it was just incredible. Truly was. Dream come true. Adam's amazing. Uh, and, and hang in there. We're going to, we talked for a while, almost two hours. And so this, this edition that everyone's going to hear is, is going to be probably a little abridged just uh, to, to ensure you know compliance with the the mass what what most of the masses want to hear in terms of timelines but on our patreon we will release the the full the full version of the interview which is it's great i'll probably listen to it myself a couple of times because he's just great to to talk to yeah john and i were saying our cheeks hurt uh from smiling so much I was just, just smiling like the an stories asshole the whole time i'm telling you when it comes to like stories this guy is oh, so good uh adam is up there so so uh, we're going to catch up for a couple minutes, and then we're going to dive into our interview with Adam. Uh, but before we do that, let's do what we've been doing, man. Yeah, we uh, got the normal shit. We got to do it. Yeah. So you've been buying anything? Anything new? No. We talked, what, three days ago? All right. So, <laughs> I haven't bought anything since. How about you? Yes. Cool. I pulled the trigger Good. on something we've been talking about, right? So uh, you got the... the <laughs> The camp counselor hoodie from yes. Body Count Clothing. Oh, here we go. Right? What, yeah, what'd you get? So I remember last weekend, we're hanging out. We're like sitting around the bonfire. Weird, you're drunk. wearing the thing. Yeah. And I was like, oh, man, I want that hoodie. And you're like, well, I think they might have it in another color. We looked, and it, they just released it in black. And With I was red like, lettering? Yeah. And I was like, man, yeah. should I get that? Go on there today, buy that. And then I saw they had a tank top version of the hoodie you bought. Uh-huh. Bought that. And then the matching, shorts the matching shorts with Yes, it. fuck yeah. I straight up, I'm going to look like the fucking coach from uh, the faculty <laughs> in like my amalgamous colored suit here. But yeah, uh, I picked it up. I'm super excited. Awesome. So, uh, And yeah. the hoodie. That's what I grabbed. The black, yeah. 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 I'm surprised you didn't get the hoodie. Oh, no, I, with I'm the sorry. I did, not, I did not get the hoodie. Oh, you bailed just, on the hoodie. No, I bailed on the hoodie. I went there to buy the hoodie, left with the tank top and the shorts. I see. So In the gray? Or in the All black. gray. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to be a gray dad. Gray. gray. That's surprising that I you am, didn't do the black in the, the red. I'm so worried about my wife opening this package before I do and being like, what the fuck are these tiny shorts? 
that match Honestly, this tank yeah, top. It's gonna be like Ronnie from uh, oh, Sleepaway dude. Camp. I'm gonna look sweet at the pool. I'll tell you what. But yeah, oh, skies out, thighs out, right, John? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, man. What have you been watching? Anything new? All right, so I watched this movie. Uh, a lot of people might be aware of it. This is the first time I've ever seen it. Uh, finally pulled the trigger. Cruising from 1980. Have you seen this yet? I have not. This is uh, directed by William Friedkin, uh, written by William Friedkin as well. Uh, but Al Pacino, Paul Sor- the, I I could go on for days with the cast in this, dude. It's incredible. Is this a horror movie? Uh, yeah, so it's like a serial killer movie. Okay, okay. So it takes place like in the 80s uh, in New York. Holy shit. Uh, so it is pretty deep. Fucking, it hits all those like dark, grimy New York City notes Ugh. from the 80s. Yeah, this was not like one of those like, yeah. you're not smiling while you're watching no, this no. one, you know what I mean? Um, you're doing a lot of wincing and uh, there's a lot of yeah. dark imagery. So it's heavy. Uh, okay. But yeah, no, cruising is one that I've heard a lot about on the internet. I've seen a lot about. Never, uh, you know, I just saw it start streaming and I was like, I don't know. Like, you kind of have to be. I'll check it out. Yeah. yeah. So I went the other way. Uh, I've not. I've like been Mickey watching. Mouse goes to a haunted house or something. <laughs> I've been watching some some new stuff, but really this week focusing on, you know, in preparation for the interview, I plan to watch all the fr- Friday the 13th. And I sure. was like, I just am not going to get there. Yeah, it's a daunting task. Yeah. And we're. Talking to our patron uh, Casey, she's been watching through them too. So I was like, "Oh fuck yeah!" I like, know, I'm yeah, it's been fun super watching. Excited, her. Yeah. yeah. So I just hit on a couple. Uh, I I frog frog leapt a bit, but I watched uh, I think one, one, two, three, and four, and then I watched six, and then I watched uh, Jason Goes to Hell this week. So I I had awesome. those on pretty consistent uh, rotation, and then just after kicking the actual summer off last week. You know, kids finished school this week too. Our pool opened this week, so I jumped into sleepaway camp. I jumped into the burning. So I've just had the the summer slasher rotation, yeah, swinging through. So uh, I I had a lot of fun this week, not paying a thousand percent attention to what I was watching, but just having some comfort to around me. You know, it's great having those on in the background. Yeah, yeah. dude, that's what it's all about. Yep. So what are you wearing? What do you got on? Yeah. So today we're doing the uh, death comes lifting. Uh, what's the, I don't remember what it says on the Flexus Chainsaw, Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. Who will survive and what will be lift of them? It's it's not even <laughs> Chainsaw, it's Flexus Gainsaw Massacre. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I always forget the game. Remember I know. Remember when he was yeah. like, that's Gainsaw. I was like, I didn't even know. Uh, yeah. But yeah, no, I love this shirt. I love that dude. I love the design and I love the brand, so. Yeah, very relevant. And it's a cutoff, so you can see my uh, non-existing biceps. <laughs> well, I have on my... Um, I have on my Fright Night shirt from our buddies in Toxic Coffin, my yes. Peter Vincent Vampire Slayer shirt. I I love that design. I'm so fond of Fright Night, as we all know, Um, and we all love that movie so damn much. Mm. But this is a summer flick for me, so this is on my docket for this week for sure, just uh, continuing the theme of watching kind of comfort food for a minute. Yeah, so we were talking about, um, I mentioned last episode about possibly having my son uh, watch a horror movie every month. He and I will talk about it. And um, I even said, like, yesterday, I was like, Fright Night. Sounds like a uh, a good one. I mean, that's... Uh, I was trying to sell it. With the exception, Bec- maybe, like, the, the end's got some... So, yeah, because I tried bit, yeah. thinking, like, I don't think that there's... Like, at the very beginning, they're 
they're talking about sex a little bit, I could just that's the more concerning that. thing than anything. Honestly, it, you get to a point where you're like, "All right, uh, let's skip this part where there's like sex, and then oh, uh, yep, there's a stabbing. That's fine, you know." <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, but what what's going on with the family? Anything cool you want to mention? Yeah. So, uh, my wife just got she got the kids like <clears throat> a big grab fucking sack. I don't even know where they came from. Just his huge thing of like four or fake tattoos. You notice I'm, yeah, I'm I wearing saw one, one on here. your wrist. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the kids just have all these like horror tattoos. So I come down from work and like my sons look like Post Malone. Both of them like they had just fucking <laughs> tattoos like, on the face and shit like, like everywhere. A, a Jason yeah. Voorhees like, teardrop. Like, teardrop. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a Freddy sweater teardrop. Uh, so yeah, they're all decked out right now. And uh, I think the, uh, I saw some of the old lady neighbors like shutter, like closing the shutters and <laughs> locking the doors. That's hilarious. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, my crew over uh, in my house, my kids have been very instrumental and very helpful in packing all of the pre-orders that our patrons, I know I mentioned this on our last episode too, but uh, the kids have been helping out, doing custom drawings, custom pictures, and have legit been happy, uh, helping me pack. And Little elves. Dude, it's been great. And they're like, let's put on a scary movie like while we do this. And like yeah. just... And scary movie for them is like Scooby Doo, Rear Window, uh, or yeah. Scooby. So, but it's been it's been great, man. So, awesome. Yeah, they've been really involved, very active. So, a couple quick plugs, then we'll jump into our interview with Adam. I know you're all chomping at the bit to get there, but we do have a Patreon if you're interested in some additional content. We have a five dollar tier and a ten dollar tier on Patreon. Uh, you can join today and unlock a ton of different uh, pre-recorded episodes. They're all stacked up. You can access them immediately. Patreon.com slash Horror Dads. Please take a moment to also check us out on social media. Instagram's our primary channel, but you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. And if you're interested in some merch, you can head over to HorrorDads.com. Be like Jamie. Get your biceps out for the summer. We've got tank tops. We've got raglans. We've got shirts. And finally, if you do like the show, please consider leaving us a five-star <laughs> review on either Apple Podcasts Feels or Spotify. Good. Feels real good. Helps other people find us. And without further ado, we will deny you no longer. Let's head to Adam Marcus. We're coming, Adam! Welcome to episode 91 of the Horror Dads podcast. We are incredibly thrilled to be joined by Adam Marcus today. Uh, writer, director, producer. He directed the film Jason Goes to Hell. So was that the ninth installment of the uh, Friday the 13th franchise? And he also wrote, uh, you know, the screenplay for Texas Chainsaw from back in 2013. Been credited for a bunch of different stuff. But Adam, thank you so much, man. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, Adam. So, so absolutely fantastic to be with you guys. <clears throat> yeah, we, uh, we've We're been too excited. We've been chatting for a couple of months here and just really appreciate you making some time for us. And this is truly an honor because uh, this this franchise means a ton to us. This movie means a ton to us. And uh, we were just laughing about how we live in Youngstown, Ohio, which is in the middle of effing nowhere. Well, not really, but it's basically the most northeast (laughs) city in the state of Ohio. Uh, We're equidistant from Cleveland and Pittsburgh. And Youngstown, Ohio comes up in the movie. Jason goes to hell the final Friday, which is insane. And uh, we were just laughing about that uh, prior to rolling. So, yeah, it's uh, we we had actually we did our due diligence when we were writing the script and Youngstown, Ohio 
was a really important hub for uh, for federal morgue um, investigation. Uh, so when some a bunch of major crimes, especially on the East Coast, would be flown out to the morgue at Youngstown, Ohio. So that was uh, that was something that we we researched. And this is before Google. So we actually had to, you know, to put some shoe leather into it and uh, found out that fact. And we wanted we wanted Jason Goes to Hell to have as many things in it that would connect to reality, um, because so much of the franchise had become sort of fantastical that we were like, we know how fantastical this one's going to get from sort of the mythology and all that stuff. So we wanted to put it in a real world so yeah. that people would get more connected to the horror of it. Yeah. It's always awkward when uh, people ask where we're from and we're like, Youngstown, you know, it's mentioned in Jason Goes to Hell. And the language is like, <laughs> what the fuck? Who's this fucking guy? It's mentioned in uh, the very uh, midpoint of Night of the Living Dead. Very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Minute 36. Yeah. That's a, I also tell you, you know, yeah, you guys are, are, are fans of the movie, which is amazing and fantastic. And thanks, guys. But I also tell you, you know, your podcast, the fact that you are the horror dads actually was kind of put you to the top of the list of people who have been trying to get a hold of me. Oh, wow. so, well, thank you. Um, yeah, I dig that. No, I dig that. I, I, I got to tell you, I actually think there are not enough. Um, I don't think there are enough dudes out there that that take uh, enough pride in being de- in being fathers yeah. to make that part of their moniker. And I, I think that's really cool. I, I just I immediately was like, these are going to be good dudes simply because that's what they're putting out there first. And I, nice. I think that's really cool. Well, thank well, you. Yeah, we yeah. appreciate that. But it seems you're from the East Coast originally and, you know, from an early age, you know, you and, and other members of your family have been super active in, in the industry. So, yeah, I guess, you know, from film to theater from 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 all of it and, and, and going to film school and whatnot uh mm-hmm. just kind of give us a quick rundown of like how you got involved in and were even in a position to make the great movies that you made oh man thank you um yeah sure uh look i i was i was i was born in manhattan uh and i split my time between connecticut where my mom lived and manhattan where my father lived um so i kind of got the best of both worlds in that in, in that respect my family on my mother's side in particular were all in the arts. Everybody is, is um, nobody gets off the stage. And uh, so my, and I, there's a weird kind of thing through line with horror that runs through all of it. My mom was a story editor at famous artists for Rod Serling oh um, back when he was doing night gallery. Really? So yeah. So legend wow. legend has it that Rod Serling carried me as a baby one time, um, <laughs> and I and from what I understand, he had a cigarette in in his hand while he was doing it, so, which is kind of incredible. Um, so so there's that. Uh, my grandmother briefly dated Ira Levin, um, so that's kind wow. of so. There's some Rosemary's Baby street cred there. Yeah. Um, and uh, my my two uncles, my mother's brothers. Uh, one of them is a guy named Joe Ellison who uh, wrote, directed, and produced Don't Go in the House. Oh, and, yes. which was that yeah. took place in Jersey, Jersey. right? That was yeah. filmed. It sure did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And the other uncle is Ned Eisenberg, who we sadly last, last, uh, we lost last year to, uh, to cancer. Um, Ned, uh, famously for horror fans, is Eddie in The Burning. Yep. Uh, and also, uh, he was one of the leads of the movie Moving Violations, where he played a horror f- uh, aficionado lunatic. Um, which was, by the way, the first time I was a teenager, Ned called me to research his role. 
with me. That's amazing. Um, he needed like street cred for that. So that's amazing. Uh, He's like, you're, yeah, the, yeah, you're yeah. the Randy from Scream in my life. Adam, <laughs> yeah. can you give me some details on how to carry this? <laughs> pretty much. It was pretty much pretty oh. much the way that played out. Um, and so, yeah, so I was raised with all of this, you know, theater was sort of our sports. Yeah. And the town that I grew up in, in Connecticut, Westport, Connecticut, um, you know, Paul Newman lived up the road. Um, I did so play cool. readings with people like Kira Delay and and Sandy Dennis. Um, and uh, I was doing theater from a very early age. Um, it was everything to me. Uh, and I had this mentor named Alpia. Now, here's the thing: the thing about Westport, Connecticut. So the high school was built around a pre-existing theater where the Doors played, where Jimi Hendrix played. It was like this extraordinary, you know, house. And so they built the high school around that theater. Well, the theater program paid for the football team. It's like the so it's this complete reverse <laughs> yeah. of the way most schools work. So we, I mean, we were making insane amounts of money um, so cool. just doing the kind of work that I that I love doing. And um, when I was eleven, I started in the theater with this guy Al Pia, who was a Broadway director who had moved to Connecticut, ran five different theaters, but also was running the, the high school theater in my, in my hometown. And um, this guy gave me a copy of uh, Stanislavski's book, An Actor Prepares. And um, I read that cover to cover, didn't understand a word of it, not a word. <laughs> and this guy spent an entire summer going through it with me day by day, chapter by chapter, until I understood every principle in the, in, in, in the book. And, uh, that was sort of, I was off to the races. Um, I, 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 I wanted to direct from the time I was, from the time I saw star Wars is the story yeah. that everybody my age says. Um, but it really was, um, it was that moment of like, that's what I'm going to do the rest of my life. And I have not spent one day of my life, not working towards that end. Oh man. Yeah, man. That's inspirational. That truly is. Yeah. <laughs> that, no, it was, it, look, it was I was I was very lucky. I was very lucky. I, I was I was raised in the right place. I had people who supported what I wanted to do. By the time I was fifteen, I started my first of two theater companies. And uh those two theater companies made enough money that you know I was able to put myself through NYU. Um and uh so I'm, I'm doing, you know, film school in New York. I'm running two theaters in Connecticut. And um, I ended up winning Best Picture at NYU for a romantic comedy. Wow. Uh, <laughs> totally not what anyone would have expected of me. I saw the uh, title but, of the, that film and I was like, oh, I wonder if this is a horror movie. No. So You Like This Girl is uh, it's, it's a John Hughes movie as if written by David Mamet. <laughs> So it is very profane and out there. Uh, but here's the incredible thing about that movie. So and it and it and it kind of shows you how, you know, groups of people sort of find each other in, in, in whether it's Kismet or Fate or who the hell knows. But um, do you guys know uh, Reno 911? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. OK, so, you know, Tom Lennon. The actor Tom Lennon, uh, he plays Officer Dangle. He's the guy with the little mustache yeah. and the short shorts. <laughs> yep, yeah. yep. So Tom Lennon, who has had an unbelievable career, he wrote The Pacifier. He wrote Night at the Museum. Um, he created Reno 911. Tom is the lead of my student film. 
The oh, other okay. lead of my student film is a guy named Joe Latruglio who plays Andy Samberg's partner on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. <laughs> so those two, and then the girl, the lead girl in the movie, who was my girlfriend at the time, uh, was a woman named Deborah Kaplan. She was, she ended up being the writer, director, or the co-writer, co-director of Can't Hardly Wait and Josie and the Pussycats. Oh my God. So yeah. I love Can't Hardly Wait. That's I mean, what, like growing up. Like a 90s staple. Dude. Man. There oh. you go. Yeah. There you go. You guys are exactly the right age. I had this kind of incredible, um, this incredible cast uh, for this little tiny movie that I was making at NYU. Did they and all go to the NYU movie, with you? Is they that, did. They, yeah. We were all together at the same time. Wow. Um, it, it's kind of incredible. Actually, my next door neighbor for my whole time being there was Adam Sandler. What? what? Yeah. And this is like some Adam sort of fever dream. Became, yeah. <laughs> Adam became very important to, um, to my story once I got to L.A. Um, when I started working for Sean Cunningham. Um, yeah, that, but I, I don't want to get ahead of myself. No, so. no, but that that's literally question number two Perfect on my list segue. is, is <laughs> so getting out to, it seemed like that was your, not your ticket necessarily, but the, the purpose mm -hmm. was, look, Sean Cunningham, you had some sort of relationship in, in some I capacity did. that, that brought you out there. Uh, and I think from the onset, you started helping with some of uh, more of the producer side, right? Before, uh, digging into yeah. directorial yeah. in LA at least. Well, what, okay, so what had happened was uh, Noel Cunningham was my best friend from the time we were eight years old. And Noel is uh, Noel Sean's son. Oh, okay. um, Noel, uh, Noel was really like my brother. And uh, then I found out that Noel's dad made a porn movie. Yeah. Um, hmm. Which made like everything way cooler, right? Yeah. Like he's just cool. <laughs> um, and by the way, Marilyn Chambers was discovered by Sean Cunningham at, at in Westport. She went to Staples High, the same same school I went to. By the way, Christopher Lloyd came from there. Kirk Douglas, I'm sorry, Michael Douglas came from there. I mean, it was a lot of cool people out wow. of that school. So, uh, and Marilyn Chambers. Uh, in fact, fun fact, Noel Cunningham plays Marilyn Chambers' love child um, when he was less than a year old in Sean's first directorial debut together movie called together, which was, which was an X rated. It was just a porn movie. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. So, uh, it was super cool. His dad made porn. Um, and, <laughs> uh, and then his dad was making these like this baseball movie and then a soccer movie that were just purely ripoffs of the bad news bears. It's all, he, you know, he, he wanted to make kids movies. By the way, Sean had no interest in horror. None. Right. None. Sean liked the money that horror got him. Yeah. Like last house on the left was the only success he had up until Friday 13. And he didn't want to make last house on the left. He abhors that movie. He, he doesn't talk about it. He won't like when I've spoken to him about it, when I've asked him about it, he will not talk about it. He's like, that's a movie. I'm ashamed that I made. I'm ashamed that my name is on it. Um, but I'm like, well, you're not ashamed of the money, dude. Um, but <laughs> he, uh, he goes to make Friday 13th and this is when I'm about 10 years old. So I'm around all of that stuff. The whole time they're shooting. I met Tom Savini when I was a kid, he showed Noel and I, um, a, uh, a Betamax copy of Dawn of the dead before anybody had seen the movie. Oh my God. I'm and smiling again, like an asshole like, yeah, right now, incredible. by the way, like I'm just standing here. I'm sitting here smiling. I know. I just, I'm not doing anything else. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, um, uh, uh, Wes Craven was Uncle Wes. 
Um, this was just the environment that I was in. And I was always at the Cunninghams. I mean, always. Like, I never went home. Um, and so Sean actually was the first person who taught me to use a computer. Uh, this is where, at the birth of computers. People did not have them in their homes. So they had a, they had a home office. I got to actually learn how to write on a computer and, and do, and that was all from Sean. Wow. Um, and he liked having me around. I don't think Noel was as interested in film. I was really interested. And because Noel was my best friend, it made Noel more interested. Mm. So I yeah, think Sean yeah. liked that. Like suddenly there was a kid in the house who wanted to do what Sean did and thought it was really cool. That it wasn't just dad doing a thing. Exactly. His son at that point was probably like, nah, that's just dad shit. <laughs> right. Yeah. And suddenly Noel and I started writing scripts together and making little movies. And like, that was our thing. So, um, so I'm there for that. Then when they go to do spring break, um, which was the movie that Sean ended up doing instead of doing red Dawn, he had been offered the movie red Dawn. Um, so much so that I did a, a reading of that script for Sean, uh, in the C. Thomas Howell role, which, uh, Sean wanted me to play that role in the movie. So, uh, then, then Sean read Spring Break, which is literally a movie about boobies and went, <laughs> I'm going to make way more money on this movie. Like, this is a movie I'm going to make a lot of money on. And again, Sean, sadly for Sean, always went for the money. He didn't go for what was going to be the best thing for his career, honestly. He went for the money. Mm. And so I ended up apprenticing to his wife, to Susan Cunningham, who, God rest her soul, we lost her uh, during COVID. Um, Susan, amazing woman and a brilliant editor, like just really extraordinary. She cut uh, Friday 13th Part 2. Um, And yeah, she's really, she is a badass. She's she's amazing. So she's the woman who taught me how to edit. Um, And I'm 13 years old working on Spring Break, which is quite possibly the most inappropriate movie for a 13-year-old boy to work on. Like, I always joke that I went into the editing room a boy, I came out a man. Yeah, went through puberty, um, puberty during that shooting. And and here's what's extraordinary about that whole thing. So we're making this movie for Columbia Pictures, so I'm ostensibly working for Columbia Pictures at 13 years old. Um, Noel and I are both her sort of like her edit boys, right? Running around getting trims. This is when you actually had to pull film off of a mm. rack and, you know, literally and, cut it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And literally with, you know, razor blades go after yeah. it. Um, and the, the best part about this is that one day Susan comes to my house, uh, <laughs> which was so weird. It was like, my friend's mom is at my house and she's like, look, Noel's, mu- Noel's taste in music is awful. So I need you to help me pick a soundtrack for this movie. And I still have all the 45s that I played with her that afternoon with all of her notes written on the actual, oh, the, the, oh, you know, the, the, the labels. Right. And we sat and picked the soundtrack. And then she says, we need somebody to do the theme song. Who do you like? And at that time I was a huge cheap trick fan. And I was like, I love mm. cheap trick. Like, I love them. I think they're amazing. And she's like, great, great suggestion. Cheap Trick was hired two days later to do the theme song of Spring Break. <laughs> so ridiculous. That's so cool, Dude. though. I mean, no, I mean, it's the coolest thing I've ever heard. It was crazy. I mean, I was 13 and I was actually an active participant in the production and editing of this movie. And then the soundtrack, I was like, how did all of this happen? But it empowered me to the point where I felt like age didn't matter 
like how old I was just didn't matter because I took it super serious. Yeah. yeah. I didn't take myself seriously. Like that's, I've always thought I'm an idiot, but, but I took the work really <laughs> seriously. Like I'm like, I love what I do and I'm going to treat this with the utmost respect. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I find, I find that if you treat, if you treat others and the work with tremendous respect, you, you, you will go as far as you, as you truly should go. Yeah. Um, and so I, uh, I worked for Susan. Um, and by the way, Steve Miner was, was working with her at that point. So it was, it was Susan, myself and Steve Miner and Steve Miner and Susan actually gave me all the equipment that I ended up taking NYU to cut my films there with. So wow. I still have all of Susan's old editing equipment. I still have all that stuff. Um, That's so so cool. I go to NYU I make this movie that is so completely not NYU, um, meaning it's in color. It's not black and white. It's in English, which is, a, you know, rare. Um, it's funny, like it was a comedy. This is not what people at NYU did, right? They make dark, brooding yeah. The woman who got away sitting in a cafe with little cups of things. That was just not my thing. I was like, I want to make movies that people want to see. And so we win Best Picture. We win a Cinematography Award. And we win, for the first time in NYU's history, we win the Cast Ensemble Award, which they had never done up until that point. Every single member of my cast gets an award for their work. That's amazing. So... It was, yeah, it was amazing. I mean, it was amazing, right? Yeah. So th this, like, this tremendous honor, and then the dean of, of NYU tells me that he's not bringing my film to L.A. And I'm like, what? But we won, what? And he <laughs> says, yeah, it's just not NYU enough, Adam. Ugh. You're like, but I won the award. Like, all of your professors yeah. think it is pretty NYU because they awarded me, What? Yeah. So I got two job offers because of the Student Academy Awards in New York. I got two job offers. One was from uh, David Lynch and Mark Frost oh to come and write God. for season two of Twin Peaks. Holy dude. Just we need to pause for one second. Like I need I feel to like I can't breathe. Take a fucking cold bath for a second. All right. So <laughs> Twin Peaks is like fuck? this is the most dream dream like uh, life that I've ever heard about. <laughs> First Adam. off, let's just. I need to make a joke that yeah, passed it. already. Do it. Yeah. Where you were talking about <laughs> working on a computer before people had computers, and I was going to say, yeah. oh, maybe Sean Cunningham and Dana Scully were the only two that had a computer. So, I right. like, I love the, the Twin Peaks, the mm. X Files era. Like, that's my love language. Mm -hmm. Like, if mm -hmm. I could sleep in a uh, uh, sleeping bag, that's mm -hmm. what it would be made of mm -hmm. uh, because it's unbelievable comfort for me. So, that's totally. incredible. I love, like, I am so endeared by Twin Peaks. I know there's a lot of it's amazing. like chaos amazing. And, and drama and that's that uh, I think was it Mark Frost that wrote the uh, oral history. I think you bought it for me. Yeah, um, it's an incredible read, uh, but I, I, I just consumed the shit out of that. And I, I, I learned about all the intense, wild political stuff that was happening for season two. Uh, mm -hmm. So I would have loved to see your contribution to, to season two. And if you did, did you write anything? I did not. Oh, I no. Man. what happened was I got offered, I got offered to write for them and I got an offer from Sean Cunningham, which was come to LA. Cause he had moved to LA by that point. He says, come to LA, be my bitch for a year and I'll give you your shot to direct. I mean, yeah. And I was like, 
All right. Uh, do not, you know, do not pass go. Do not collect $200. <laughs> I'm going straight to, to LA. I will tell you, in hindsight, the Twin Peaks thing probably would have led more directly to, um, to a career that was not as myopic from the studio standpoint. Yeah. Right. Um, but I, I do have to say, um, you know, I, I, you couldn't have, you couldn't have gotten me to LA quicker than that sentence. <laughs> like I was like done. Yeah. I moved to Los Angeles with 300 bucks in my pocket and no driver's license. Mm. <laughs> And L.A. is not a place you want to be without a driver's license. No, yeah, they don't have uh, work. This isn't Chicago yeah. or something, yeah. Or yeah, it's, it's York. Not good. Yeah. <laughs> it's not good. So I, uh, so I get to L.A. and I had a screenplay that my best friend in college, a guy named Dean Laurie, had written called Johnny Zombie. Oh, I'm, and this is what I wanted to talk about. Okay, Johnny let's Zombie. hear. It. You know so by Johnny a different Zombie. title. Okay, and yeah. your wife and I. Loved this movie growing up, but okay, go ahead. I'm so in. Johnny Zombie was the movie that I wanted to make as my first film, and it was a horror comedy musical. We had been workshopping the script for about three years. We were really proud of the movie, and this was the one I was going to try to get a million bucks and somehow make this movie. So, and I'm thinking, you know, I want to get Sean to do it, but he's told me, like, strictly, you are going to be my bitch. And I really was his bitch. I mean, <laughs> wow, did he take that seriously? So I was going to stay with Noel Cunningham. I ended up staying with one friend for a little while. That did not work out so great. It was a little weird. I was with her parents, and it was oh, creepy, boy. actually. Yeah, it was creepy. Um, and so another uh, episode just on that. Yeah. <laughs> seriously, uh, that is that is a big part of my biography. That whole saga. Um, and then uh, I, I wanted to move in with Noel. The problem is Noel lived in Venice, and this is when Venice was called the mini hood. Mm. Early 90s, California Venice was shock. I mean, you would come out in the street, and there would just be a dead body laying. Wow. Like, whoa. that was just like a normal occurrence. So I was like, okay, um, not crazy about living here. But the other problem is, is that Noel's house that he was in was infested with cockroaches. Holy shit. And yeah. California cockroaches, not New York little, you know, half inch little guys. These were, you know, two and a half inches. Of Nuclear just Holocaust. Like, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I, uh, I literally have one phobia and that's it. That's the one. And I was cockroaches? like, oh, dude, dude, I would come home to my apartment in New York and there would be one of those little half inch guys just like there. And I'd be like, cool go to a movie see you later and i would literally leave my apartment okay i'd be like nope not gonna do it by the way uh, if i've had rats run across my 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 shoes in the new york subway system i don't even jump i don't flinch okay you can put a snake on my shoulders i good good to go cockroach i see one of those motherfuckers and i (laughs) am like no 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 we're not gonna do this so it's just my thing right yeah uh i did not want to live in that house i was not gonna do it so i bought a vw bug for the 300 dollars i had i had no driver's license mind you i just bought the car it was a 63 vw bug so i have to live in that car and living in a vw bug Mm. i mean this was a this was a nightmare scenario, but I was how, like, Fuck how it, was driving, though? There. Like, did you did I, I mean, no, I would park it. I would just park it in different areas and sleep in it. 
but I couldn't drive it. I had a 10 speed bike. So I'm literally riding a 10 speed bike around LA. I've never been in better shape in my life. Like I was like <laughs> skinny as a rail with these giant calves. I mean, yeah. it was just stupid. Dunking um, on people like, like the fuck? pushing a VW bug up to park it. And you're like, and I'm delivering, I'm delivering film elements, right? For Sean, like I'm working for Sean. And I had this script and I'm super impatient. So I was like, I got to get this thing made. So I'm like, what would piss off Sean enough that he would make my movie? Like, what? how can I get him to make the movie? So uh, Sean, ha- Sean hates when anybody else gets a chance at something that he doesn't get a chance at. So I had a lot of friends who were in catering in L.A. who I'd gone to school with at NYU would come out here, actors who, had, who, who were now in catering. And I got into a bunch of uh, charity events. I would find when friends would be doing big charity events, catering. And I'd have them, like, get me in. So i dress in a tuxedo, look as sharp as I could, walk amongst everybody as though I belonged there, even though I don't even have a place to sit. And I would find a film executive, usually a woman, to ask to dance. And while I was dancing with them, um, I would pitch them. Mm. This is like, so, what you could make a movie about this. I was going to say, this <laughs> yeah. is like an episode of uh, Party Down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right, right. Anyway, I uh, I asked Roger Corman's wife to dance with me. Oh my this, god! Uh, yeah, yes, dude. And she and Roger, I knew this because they lived right down the street from where I would park my car. They had a, they had their studio right there, right? And I knew that there was a rivalry between them where they were trying to outdo each other on who could make the fastest, cheapest movie. I was like, sign me up. Yeah. So I she we're out there. I tell her I know her work, I'm complimenting what she's what she's accomplished and what she's done, and and she asks me about myself. By the way, I never launch into who I am first. I never do it. I always talk about the other person, and eventually I know it's going to come back around to me. I'm going to say as little as possible. I'm just going to answer questions directly. She asks me who I am. She asks me about myself. I let her know that I had just won this award at NYU, blah, 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 and that I have this movie that I came out to LA to, to do, and that I'm working for Sean Cunningham. This pricks up her ears immediately. She goes, what's the movie? I pitch Johnny Zombie. She flips out of it, loves it, is like, oh my God, it's such the perfect movie for us. Can you get me a copy tomorrow? I said, done, done. Now, th- this is back when you had to actually, you know, print a script. You couldn't email yeah. somebody. I tried to go and get a script and give it yep, to them. Yep. Well, I call Noel immediately after this dance, and I tell him what just happened. Knowing full well, Noel is going to immediately tell his dad. <laughs> and he does. So the next morning, I'm sitting in, my, I'm sitting in Sean's office, and I'm making a photocopy of the, of the script. And he walks in, sees the script, and goes, what's that? <laughs> I said, oh, it's this little movie that I want to make for, you know, called Chinese. He grabs the script off my desk, walks into his office, slams the door behind. About 90 minutes later, door swings open. Marcus! I run to his office. He said, all right, um, I hate this script. This is awful. But I love the title. So we're going to rewrite it, and I'm going to give you a million and a half bucks and you go shoot it in Connecticut. And I was like, what now? What am I doing? 
He's like, yeah, 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 but we got to get a real writer. Yeah, I don't know who this buddy of yours is. Uh, we got to get a real writer on this. I said, then I'm not going to sell it to you. He's like, what? I was like, Sean, Dean entrusted me with his work. I've been workshopping this with him for three years. Do this, do this for me. Fly his ass out here. Put us up in the cheapest fucking motel you can find. And let us work for six weeks. And if we don't deliver everything you want change-wise, then we'll get another writer. And he says, uh, he says, all right, I'm going to call you a bluff. You got it. So he flies Dean out. He puts us up in, the, uh, in, the, in this Holiday Inn off Sunset. Um, and Dean and I are so sure that we're never going to get a movie made. Like, we're like, this is never going to work. This is, we're totally faking this at this point. That we start stealing everything that isn't nailed down at the Holiday Inn, bringing it into Cunningham Productions during the day, and shipping it to our, our apartment in New York, knowing full well, like, <laughs> we're going to go back to New York. Like, we might as well have new cutlery. Yeah. So we're sending, literally sending boxes of Holiday Inn crap <laughs> to furnish our apartment with. So. Instead of working on rewrites. <laughs> yeah. While, while we're doing, yeah. While we're, while we're fixing the script, we, we worked for about six weeks. He read the script, loved it. We made all the changes he wanted. He fell in love with this movie and he says, uh, yeah, we're going to do this. And he hires Dean at that point. He hires Dean to be the only staff writer Sean has ever employed. So here we have this script. It's really weird. It's really freaking out there. And Sean is trying to figure out, okay, how do we get this to market and get somebody to actually believe in this movie? Because it's a bigger movie. I was going to do it for a million and a half. I think we should do it for more money. I was like, okay. Uh, he says, but nobody reads in this town. I hate that nobody reads. And this is not a simple horror movie that I could easily push through. This is more complicated. It's a comedy. It's, it's gross. It's really out there. I said, well, Sean... Sean has a major theater background and he was a um, stage manager for Broadway shows and for, for uh, shows that would go on the road. And I have my theater background and Sean loves, loved my theater work and all that. So he's like, I said, look, instead of sending the script out and people just not getting it, why don't we read it to them? And he's like, what? I said, why don't we invite studio executives to a table read? And we get great actors and we rehearse them and we treat it like we're showing them what the movie's going to be. Because if they hear it off the page, they'll totally get what the movie is. Yeah, that's brilliant. I we mean, just don't want to trust their, their mind's eye to figure out this movie. Yeah. So we had these incredible cast directors, a guy named Barry Moss out of, uh, out of New York, who was the guy who cast the entire run of the Cosby show, but was a huge Broadway casting director and cast all of Sean's early stuff. And this guy, David Giella, here in L.A. And so the two of them, uh, we, we got them to get us a cast. Guys, we had three Tony Award-winning actors at this table. It was crazy. Okay? That's so cool. And the person who plays Johnny Dingle, Johnny Zombie, is Adam Sandler. No oh shit. My God. This is two weeks before he gets the job to do Saturday Night Live. Uh, literally oh two weeks. So he comes in. Um, we do this table read of Johnny Zombie. 
uh, New Line and Disney get into a bidding war over the movie. And I am begging Sean. I'm like, look, I know they're going to make it for less money, but Sean, please, for the love of God, let us do this with New Line. They get this movie. Like, they'll get how to do it, and they won't cut the nuts off the film. As I said earlier, Sean always follows the money. Mm. He does not care about art. He does not care about telling the right story. He cares about how much money goes in his pocket. Which is his, always which will, had the money, which, too. <laughs> and it will always be his undoing. He, By the way, not a happy guy. Not a happy guy. And when I was working with him, he, he, had, he did not have one horror movie on the, on the books. Not one. It was dramas. He had a movie about a paraplegic that he uh, that joins this circus and he wanted Sean Penn for the lead. I mean, he Whoa. he was like he was about art, wanting to do art, but never had the balls to go make art. He just followed the money. Yeah. So he ends up going with Disney. Disney's putting a bunch of money behind the movie. The first meeting at Disney, the very first meeting on this movie. Um, it was like it was like the stereotype of like a Hollywood meeting, right? It's this long table. Dean and I at one end of the table, like little kids, <laughs> and all of these executives in suits all smiling at you, right? And this is the early '90s. This is when Disney Studios was the unhappiest place on earth. Um, I mean, everybody smiled and everybody looked really good, but as you would walk by people, you would hear whispers of like, "Kill me!" Yeah. Um, it's so, like they live. <laughs> it to- totally like they live. Completely like that. So here we are at the end of this table, and these executives are like, look, we love this movie. We totally dig it. We get it. We get what you guys are doing. Um, we only have one change. And we were like, great. Like, we've been, we've been working for months, you know, beating this movie up. One thing? Go for it. Can you get rid of the zombies? what and we're like we're like you guys we're like we're like laughing we're like yeah get rid of the zombie you got and they're totally straight face and i'm like wait a minute it's called johnny's zombie and they said yeah and can he like seem like less dead and more i don't know tired (laughs) well weekend at bernie's but not dead and you're like right i literally go back to sean's office i look i say look they're never going to let me direct this movie. They're making it for $8 million. I'm 22 at the time. I was like, there's no, or 21 at the time. I was like, there's no way. They're never going to let me do this. I said, um, and they are literally cutting the balls off the movie. They are neutering this film. I don't want to do this movie. You, you, this, I, I love that you've made a lot of money. Great, Sean. But I made you a shit ton of money. Give me a movie. Like, you owe me a movie right now. Now, mind you, this when I do my impression of Sean Cunningham, a lot of times it sounds like the Penguin from Batman, because <laughs> yeah, Sean bit. Cunningham is in fact the supervillain, the Penguin from Batman. That's who he actually is. Okay, so w- there were times, literally, where Noel, Noel, Dean, and I were now living together. We had an apartment in Venice. Remember, in Venice, we're dead. The place you were trying to avoid. Exactly, <laughs> but we had a really nice we had a really nice apartment a, a block and a half off the beach. There were still dead bodies outside our door in the morning, but it was it was Better a nice apartment. Roaches. Um, and Noel has this incredible collection of firearms, so that was, you know, that was your well, I guess. Anyway, um, come uh, So I, I, there was one day when I came to Sean. I said, Sean, you have not given us enough money to eat. 
We don't have money for food. You need to give us some money because you have all of the money. <laughs> and his response was, <laughs> isn't it great? <laughs> he literally, he literally sent me to El Pollo Loco to get us food. Oh my like, God. get some chicken, bring it home. I'm like, no money. He's like, no, just get chicken. Ah, uh, ah. Uh, so I said, give me a movie. He said, you know what, Marcus? You know what the best thing about you is? I said, what, Sean? He goes, you're the world's biggest nudge. <laughs> I said, yeah, I am. Give me a movie. <laughs> and he says, well, New Line is buying the rights to Jason Voorhees from Paramount. So if you can get that fucking hockey mask out of the movie, I'll let you write and direct the, the picture. And I was like, oh. yes like a million times i'm like jumping for joy run out of the office i'm gonna call my mom like you won't believe it and then suddenly i go wait a minute get rid of the what out of the what what do you want me to do here's the thing and sean has lied about this for for decades now um Sean Cunningham wanted the hockey mask out of the movie because Sean Cunningham hated the fucking hockey mask. By the way, he, he hated the sack over, the, over his head in part yeah. two. Hated it. Hated it. And then thought, and he said, when they showed him the hockey mask and that this was going to be the new thing, he said, wow, I thought the sack was stupid. <laughs> yeah. Okay? Here's the problem. Sean didn't want to make horror movies. Yeah. And you know the story of the man in the iron mask? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Sean is the man in the hockey mask. He can't get away from it. And the only thing he's allowed to make are those movies. That's it. That's all anyone will talk to him about. Since I made Jason Goes to Hell, it's all Sean's done. Is the is 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 Friday the 13th stuff. Jason X, Freddy versus Jason, it's the only stuff Sean can get done because that's how he's been branded. But remember, Sean never, my movie was the first Jason film he made since the first movie. Right. Yeah. 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 So it's the only movie he had made up to that point that had a hockey mask in it. He never made one of the films with with the mask because he never made a movie about Jason. He made a movie about Pamela Voorhees, a woman who's lost her child and lost her marbles because of it. Because Sean never met an idea that John Carpenter had that he didn't want to steal. So... (laughs) He wanted Friday 13th movies not to be about Jason Voorhees. He wanted them to be about the unluckiest day of the year. Yeah, the right. same way yeah. John Carpenter didn't want to make Michael Myers movies. He wanted to make Tales of Halloween, yeah, sure. which is why Halloween 3 is Exists. the actual yeah. only other movie that is a John Carpenter film from that whole franchise. Yeah, yeah. Because that's what he intended. So now I am told, get the hockey mask out of the movie and you can make the movie. While I'm making, by the way, while I'm on the road to making Jason Goes to Hell, Johnny Zombie is continuing at, at Disney under the title, My Boyfriend's Back. Uh, so yeah. my sister, your wife, yeah. and I, I remember distinctly the first time we, we would have this, uh, uh, like a pencil box, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on Fridays, we would go into our basement at the time we were living near Chicago. Mm-hmm. It was this pink pencil box, and what we would do is we would take a piece of paper and we would uh, we would go to the video store. We rent six tapes for the weekend, and we would uh, 
put titles on the scraps of paper and we would crumple them up and we would put it in this pencil box and we would shake it. And it's then like drawn out of a hat. Yeah. Exactly. And I remember she would always pick, like, oddly enough, m- movies like Man in the Iron Mask, The oh, Beat, like fucking, anything she with- She loves that movie, Anything like, with When Leo, you said Man in the Iron Mask, I was like, oh, my wife. She loves it. And uh, I remember this movie, My Boyfriend's Back, was one of the ones mm-hmm. that was selected because she rented it. And I was like, this fucking dis- I w- Like, my pick was probably, like, Friday the 13th Part 6, and hers was this, <laughs> totally. right? Totally. As it should be. And I remember uh, we pulled it out, and I was like, ah, my boyfriend's- What? And she's like, well, we got to watch it. So we sit down and we're watching it. And I was like, I fucking love this movie. Like, yeah, all in on this movie. And uh, I remember growing up, it was one of our perennial, like, ongoing watches. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. It's like, what, early 90s or late 80s? No, no, no. It literally came out one week before Jason Goes to Hell. Oh, my God. I didn't realize this. So that was 91, right? Uh, 93. 93. Okay. 93. So this Damn. year is the 30th anniversary of Jason Goes Town. Perfect, uh, perfect timing. Perfect timing for something that you're going to tell us about in a minute here. Absolutely. <laughs> so anyway, I go off to make Jason Goes to Hell, which is very funny because at when we finished the, when we finished Jason Goes to Hell, we were we were doing our sound mix at a place called Sound One in in Los Angeles, and Johnny Zombie was doing its sound in the next door, like next door um, <laughs> soundstage, and Dean. <laughs> had to keep writing a voiceover to fix Johnny Zombie, to fix My Boyfriend's Back. And he hated the movie at this point, and he would come into my (laughs) soundstage and go, hide me. Hide me so I can be with the good movie for a little while. (laughs) Literally, there were times Sean would come in and Dean would be under under the soundboard just so that he, Sean couldn't find him, so he couldn't go to work. Uh, So how old are you at this point? I was 20, I was 21 and 22 when I wrote the script. I was 23 when I directed the movie. I was 20, I just turned 25 when the movie was released. Wow. It's funny because we look at like your age and it's mm-hmm. like, how, how could he have gotten this job at, you know, such a young age? And then it's like, you lived a goddamn lifetime before that. Yeah. I did. Honestly. I did. And that's, yeah. by the way, that's one of those things that like the people who were so negative about me directing the movie when it, when it first got announced that this kid was going to direct the movie. Sure. I was like, guys, I've been working in the industry since I was 11 years old. What the fuck? Like, yeah. but nobody knows that. They don't know that. No. Yeah. They just see the age, you know? see the number. Right. Right. It, it's, it is funny too. Like, again, like horror dads, right? Everyone has this perception of. <laughs> Things have to be a certain way and things can only exist in one exact way. In fact, when we were having dinner tonight, I told my wife, I was like, oh, you know, we're uh, interviewing Adam Marcus. He did one of the Friday Friday 13th movies. And she was like, is he like in his 80s? (laughs) No. And she goes, well, which one did he do? And I I remember distinctly the first time my wife ever saw this movie. It was, uh, we're high school sweethearts. So after we went to prom, uh-huh. this is a true MFing story. After we went it. to prom, we I came home and I bought the house off my parents that we grew up in. So in sure. that corner room that my youngest daughter now sleeps in, we watched <laughs> Jason goes to hell on prom night after prom. And she yeah! goes, is that the one that we watched? And I was like, yeah, after prom. And she was like. I don't know if I've seen it since. And I was like, well, you should. Uh, yeah. And I mean, she's into horror enough, but is not totally. like we are. I get it. Oh, uh, trust me. I get it. 
<laughs> but yeah, it was, it was funny talking to her tonight because she was like, "Oh, is it, what is he like in his 80s? And I was like, no, that's no, no. amazing. <sighs> He's that's like, amazing. Probably younger than our parents. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Honestly. No, yeah. I'm no, I, I uh, no, I, I started really, really young, really young. And I was again, look, and I give Sean. Sean is the reason that happened. And God bless him for that. Um, the the sadness behind that, though, is that, you know, Sean is so. Um, Sean, at one point, had said to Dean and I, we were working with him and we were talking about, like, what are we going to do next? Like, what are, you know, we want to do other stuff. And he was like, oh, you guys are going to be too big for me by the time you're done with this movie. Uh, and I was like, no, like, that's not, we're not those people. What? Yeah. You, what? Um, and there's, there's a, it's sad, actually. He, yeah. he almost cuts you out of his, of his world once he's used you. Like, uh, then you're done, you know? And it's, there's a shame to that. I, yeah. I actually feel sorry for him about that. Yeah, that is sad. Yeah. Yeah. So, so as you get this task, though, this exciting, daunting, uh, amazing, crazy, mm -hmm. just probably every emotion you can feel, like, is totally. all happening at the same time mm -hmm. uh, at a relatively young age, despite, you know, all the, all the work you put in and whatnot, you know, like, totally. I, uh, so as this is going on, like, I guess what's going through your mind and did did you have any like anticipated outcomes like what like what what was what was your 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 vibe during this this whole experience as you as you get the uh the news that you're going to do this movie here's the thing i uh i mean at first it was just elation and i was so excited about working on it and i came up with a really dark movie not the movie that you guys have seen um it was much darker like way darker and it was like i wanted to make sort of um, the, the, the equivalent of the original evil dead, oh, um, yeah, as a yeah. Friday 13th movie, like it was really balls out. It was, um, more sexual. It was, um, more, way more frightening. Um, and I think that actually scared new line and scared Sean a little bit. And so I softened the concept and softened the movie and, and they were much happier. Um, but I, but all of that was fine. Like I wasn't upset about any of that. I was just excited that I was doing this. I was working on this. And, um, and while I was, you know, crewing the movie and casting the movie and doing all that, I had grown this beard. Um, and in fact, even before I went in for my director's meeting with Bob Shea at New Line, I had the beard. So I didn't come off as young as I actually was. Um, and it's funny because if I shave this beard off now, I look like baby Huey. Like it's just silly. I look really like much younger than I, than I actually am. And so I, I went in to see Bob Shea and he, uh, gave me a horror quiz, an oral horror quiz oh, in his shit. office. Okay. Um, and, huh. uh, I, Do you remember the questions? Uh, yeah, no, I remember a lot of the questions, but the one that was my favorite um, was that he asked me about Alone in the Dark. And Oof, it's a doozy of a film. Yeah, right. And I and I and I have a pretty photographic memory, especially for um, for art. I'm, 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 yeah. Anyway. Um, and so I first said, oh, Meg Tilly, right? And he goes, he goes, no. Like he catches me, right? And I went, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was thinking one dark night, um, uh, alone in the dark. And I'm literally reading the credits on the poster in my head. And I had seen the movie. 
And I went, oh, Bob, I'm sorry. That was the first movie you made with Jack Shoulder, right? Yeah. <laughs> I said, oh, dude, Martin Landau is extraordinary in that film. He's like, all right, all right, quiz is over. Yeah. <laughs> and he turns to Sean Cunningham while I'm sitting there and goes, well, he doesn't suck. I was Jesus. like, wow, that's an endorsement. <laughs> I leave the office with Mike DeLuca. Mike DeLuca takes me out of the office. And Mike um, was my executive. Him and Mark Ardesky were my two executives. Mike DeLuca, as we walk out of the room, Mike looks at me and goes, yeah. I was like, really? He's like, that was a win. I'm like, okay. He said, he did not expect you to know that he was the producer of that movie. He did not think you were going to know that. Um, and I'm like, well, it's on the poster. Uh, so he, um, Bob allowed me to do a director's test at that point. So I had to shoot a scene from the film. I shot the scene where officer Randy Parker picks up Stephen Freeman. Um, the whole, you know, the two guns coming out and the whole John Woo thing. Um, by the way, okay. So here's a cool story. True story. Really cool story. The whole gun thing was not written in the script. What happened was I, uh, the night before my, my screen test, before I was going to shoot this scene. And by the way, I had already cast, I already crewed my whole movie. I didn't cast everybody, but I had crewed the movie. So, uh, and then Bob Shea's like, he has to have a director's test. Like, oh, great. So, and by the way, Tom Savini is waiting in the wings. Oh, um, to jump into the director's chair. Like he wanted to direct the movie. Oh. Uh, Toby Hooper wanted to do it. Like there were a bunch of people who wanted to do it. Right. Talk yeah. about pressure. Oh, yeah. it was, but by the way, I'm telling you, like I never had a moment of like worry about it. I wow. really didn't. I was not worried about it. I was like, I'm directing this movie. This is my movie. Yeah. So, I can imagine these like old heads like fuck this little guy. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. By the way, the other person who was up Hooper. for the job was <laughs> okay. Peter Jackson. Oh my Peter gosh. Jackson and I were the two guys head to head on. Holy this. shit! And yeah. Tom Savini had just probably he just did Night of the Living Dead, right? Like a few years earlier, yeah, yes. 90, 91, yeah. somewhere yeah. In, in that timeline. Yeah, Peter Jackson probably yeah. uh, failed the the quiz. Uh, he might have. I yeah. don't know, but he. I, I had to go. I actually was. I went to see Dead Alive in a theater during that time period. I was. I was brought to a screening in L.A. of that movie because of this whole thing Mm -hmm. so okay so the night before this is a true story so the night before my director's test uh bob kurtzman and howard berger call me up and they're like hey dude you uh you know that that filmmaker we all love to watch john woo i was like yeah fuck yeah and we were always the the the, the kb guys and me would always watch these john woo movies before anybody knew john woo was he was just a he was just an asian filmmaker nobody knew him in america yeah so said yeah He's going to be They're They're talking to him about making his Amer- American debut and he wants us to do the effects in the movie. I was like, oh, that's awesome. He said, so he's going to show his new movie tonight at Orion Studios. It's just a screening for John and some of his close friends and some executives and us because we're doing we're going to do his movie with him. I said, great. I, you know, he's like, do you want to come? I was like, fuck, yeah, I want to come. Yeah. So I literally this is not a joke i literally sit two seats over from john woo watching the first very first screening ever in north america of hard-boiled oh my god i watched that movie in college in a a film class but keep going it's right it's mind-blowing okay so there i am with john woo i i i i go up to him and i'm like i'm like 
sir, I, I just have to tell you, I, I am such an enormous fan of your body of work. And I had seen all of his films up to that point. He was shocked. He was shocked that this kid, you know, I'm 20, I was 22 at the time, is coming up to him going like, oh my God, I love your work and going through his films with him. And he says to me, he says, well, I'm just trying to get better at it. And I was like, man, if John Woo can say that to like, is, is that humble? Like that's, that's the way you got to live your life. Right. So I watch hard boiled. My mind is blown. Right. I'm like, Oh my God. So extraordinary. And that's the movie that has all of that. Like, you know, that those standoffs, so right. The gun stand. Yeah, so much. Okay. On my way home through story on my way home, I'm driving my salary, which was a Chrysler LeBaron convertible that Sean bought for me as part of my salary for, for, do, for, for producing my boyfriend's back. And um, so I'm driving home. The top is down. Um, I get stopped at a light because there's all these cop cars that come zooming through the intersection, right? And uh, I'm in West LA, not a bad area. <laughs> They're chasing this brown sedan. Right. And it's like Starsky and Hutch. Right. And like you've got all these like motorcycle cops and then helicopters start going overhead. And I'm like, what is going on? And again, I'm in a convertible during this. <laughs> Suddenly. The headlights all start going in a different direction. And they're all coming at me. And this sedan has done a Yui come back around and is now literally coming straight for my car. And I got nowhere to go. The cops are closing in him on, on either side, right? He jumps onto the median that's right next to me, this grassy median on, on uh, Olympic Boulevard, slams the car into a tree. Oh, my God. Okay? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I'm literally like, 12 feet away from the guy the guy turns looks at me he's got a crack pipe in one hand oh, holy yeah. shit and he pulls out a gun in the other Ugh. okay oh, and man. i'm like right <laughs> suddenly i feel someone grab the back of my head and shove me down under my under my steering column and you just hear boom, 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 boom. And somebody grabs my arm. They've opened up my side door. They're pulling me out of the side of my car. They run me across the street and put me under a police van. I look back at my oh car. My there are four cops in and on my car with shotguns pointed at this guy. Whoa. Okay. Using your uh, car as cover. <laughs> they completely, they, they handle the situation. The guy is put in a, in, a, in a squad car. He's taken care of. They pull me out from under the van. They're like, sir, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm, yes, I'm just fine. And again, I just, just watched Hard Boiled yeah. John Woo. Now I'm in this situation. I, they put me back in my car. They, and it was very funny. One guy comes over with a chamois to like clean up some footprints. I was like, okay. Another guy comes with they, a pen and he's like, uh, take some fucking notes because this is going to end up in your script. <laughs> he sent, they send me on my way. I drive straight to Venice where my per, unit production manager, a woman named David, Debbie Cass lives. I didn't want to go home. I'm like freaking out. So yeah. I drive to her house to tell her what happened. Because again, this pre cell phones, I mean, a cell phone, I had a pager. 
I get to <laughs> Debbie's house. She runs out of her house and hugs me in the, on her lawn. And it's like, are you okay? I was like, wait a minute. How do you know? What? I was going to tell you. She goes, I've been watching you on the news. <laughs> She's like, those, those helicopters above you were newscopters. They were shooting the whole thing. So I'd been on the news during this entire thing, right? This whole standoff. Um, the next day. This is insane. I, this is honestly insane. I go to shoot my director's test. And that's when that night before the director's test is when I sat down with Dean and I said, this has to end in a standoff. We got to have them turn the guns on each other. Yeah. Like that's the scene. And we rewrote that scene that night. That is and amazing. that's that was my director's test. And I was so jacked up by the time I got to my director's test, like I was like buzzing that like my director's test had way, way too much like uh, energy and excitement. And they loved it. Like Bob Shea fucking loved the test. and was like, he's the guy done. That's so incredible. it's how that, you know, it's how that happened. Now, here's the thing. From that moment on, that was my motherfucking movie. No one was touching that. No one was getting that for me. This is mine. And I have to tell you, I only had one moment of doubt, which was day one. The rest of the time, I was so like ready to shoot this thing and so excited about making this film. And what happened was on day one, it was uh, we were shooting the movie in July and August in L.A. So it's hot. Yeah. And. I and I'm in the valley. We're shooting in the fucking valley, which is so hot. And I shaved my beard because I was like, I'm gonna swelter. Like I, you know, and I'm also like, first day, new Adam. Let's go. Let's yeah, get it. Yeah, let's yeah, go yeah. get this thing. Right. <laughs> so I shaved the beard off. I walk on the set. My cinematographer Bill Dill, who is still one of you know, one of my closest friends. I adore this guy. Bill Dill looks at me and says, "How the fuck old are you?" <laughs> <laughs> um that was not a good moment that was not yeah. great it was right in front of the crew it was like oh yeah someone thought i was a pa when i got to set someone thought i was a pa on the film um steve minor was a pa on uh part one right yeah and then yes, he was. Part two. so there we yes. go yes he yeah. was this <laughs> is sort of this is the trajectory <laughs> at cunningham brick pictures See, yeah. you go right from pa to, to, to director i was gonna say yeah um, you take his shit for a year and then uh you get a film <laughs> I was a PA on uh, House 4. That was the first movie I did for Sean, and I was a PA. I just did everything he needed me to do. Man. That was it. Yeah. Um, I love House. So uh, we, um, on that first day, I had a shot list, because, again, I had made only student movies. I would made my own films. Um, I had a shot list that had 50 shots, five zero shots on it. And my first AD runs to Sean, runs to Bill Dill, my DP, and Suddenly, these three huge men, well, sorry, two huge men and one Lilliputian, um, uh, Sean Cunningham, uh, run over to me and are like, are you out of your mind? Are you fucking crazy? You can't shoot 50 shots. What are you, insane? I was like, uh, what? I'm sorry. What would I do? And Sean's like, you can do 20 of these. Sit down and pick. I was like, oh. Okay, so I go to this lunch table that's out on the lawn that they've already set up for when we hit lunch. And I had to, and there's a photograph of my back while I'm doing this, right? That was the one time I went, oh no, I am out of my depth. And I cut it down to 24 shots. Sean allowed it. 
I walked over, handed them the shot list. They looked at it. They were like, okay, this Sean's like, it's doable. You're never going to get those four extra shots, but it's doable. I got 27 shots that day. Oh, wow. Oh, nice, man. By the time we were done with the film, my average day was 34 shots a day. And here's the thing. What it taught me pretty quickly was, you know what? Everybody's got their rules for how this is supposed to go, but everything is from the head down. So if the person running the show says, fuck it, we're going to do this, guys. We're going to make this happen. You will make it happen. As long as you treat, again, everybody with respect, make them feel like it's their movie too, that it's not your vision, your movie. That's all bullshit. Filmmaking is a team sport. And if you if you treat people like, hey, we can do this, guess what? They can always do it. Always. So, so that, that's that's amazing. And I guess the question I have is. So you have this exterior. Uh, perception, this ex- exterior kind of cloud of mm-hmm. of uh contribution that's happening everyone has an opinion right this is like everyday life i guess but yeah this is amplified in this in this uh, specific scenario uh so as you as you're doing this right are you how rooted in the mythology of all of the franchise are you because it's called the the final friday right like right part four did this obviously so in your mind were you like i got like it's my responsibility my responsibility to put this franchise to bed and like yes this is so that's that's yeah. what the perception was at that moment and and no one ever spoke to me about freddy versus jason like there was yeah. no there was no talk of that never on my set no one ever brought it up um my whole thing was that okay and and if you if you look at the movies the way they're constructed you'll see that i really was bookending the movies so the first movie ostensibly is the story of a of a woman who has lost her son right the last movie is a father finding his daughter yeah and i did that on purpose it was like i'm gonna end this franchise with this thing that says there's a conclusion to an emotional story rather than yes we got it the shark is in the water okay sharks in the water but I'm a huge Jaws fan. The end of Jaws is a triumph, is this moment of like, no, no, the good guy won. Yeah. It beat back nature. It beat back the devil. And that's what I wanted this film to be. By the way, it's also why Creighton Duke's in the movie, because literally he is Quint. Like, yeah, that is, definitely. That's the character <laughs> yeah, we wrote. Very, we very wrote much. <laughs> yeah, there's, I mean, like, uh, we're not, literally, he says, I'll get you the mask and the shetty, the whole damn thing. Yep. I mean, it's it's literally quaint. So, <laughs> so I wanted to have a movie that was this satisfying end to this incredible franchise. The only film that I was told not to that I was told to ignore that it doesn't exist was Part Eight. Okay, they would not let me take it into account. New Line, Sean, no. By the way, Paramount didn't want to even ha- admit that it, it it had happened. Yeah, um, it was you follow Part Seven. That's say, what everybody told me. And I was like, okay, I'll follow part seven. Yeah. I was rewatching it today and I actually had the conscious thought of like, did it exist in this? <laughs> yeah. So it's good to hear that yeah. it did not. 
It was called Jason Takes a Boat Ride um, <laughs> around the exactly. office. So too, too I was just not allowed to. I was not allowed to. And by the way, look, I, I got to say that movie has its charms without a doubt. It does. Um, the problem with 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 New York for me is that. Um, is that he he doesn't take New York. He 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 doesn't. It's 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 a, it's Vancouver, like a coda. It's like an add on. Yeah. Where the idea of Jason in Manhattan is like the greatest. Like that is genius. Yeah. yeah. Like all the marketing guys should have been getting, you know high fiving each other over that. The problem is they didn't make that movie. They made they made a Friday Thirteenth movie on a boat. By the way, I want to know what boat goes from New Jersey to Manhattan. What what boat is that? It'll never make sense. It's an odd boat. Yeah. Um. And really it ends up too. <laughs> and it ends up in Montreal, um, yeah. you know, because it really doesn't go to Manhattan. And I'm a New Yorker and Sean's a New Yorker. And we were all like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> um, that said, that said, there's great stuff in that movie. I think that movie is 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 really viciously mal- maligned and I don't think it deserves it. Um, but that was the movie I was told to to forget about. So I was like, okay, cool. We're we're still in you know Crystal Lake, and we're still gonna do that movie. Okay. So what was the general uh, reception upon release? So it seemed like there was a lot of hype, right? And mm-hmm. people were probably you know culturally because Part Eight didn't you know it wasn't a year prior, but it wasn't in. It wasn't like okay, here's a ten year gap, right? When did party get right. out? It, was it wasn't late. like releasing one now. Yeah, yeah. So there's still the distant memory of that, and people are probably like, "Oh, cool, we're doing another one," and "Oh, he's going to hell." Yeah. Like, what's what's the deal here? So that um, had to be fucking. So this was billed as the last one, right? Yes. Yeah. This was billed as the final Friday. <laughs> yeah. So to your point, John, here is like, you're like, all right, well the excitement that fans get like when uh when we all thought that you know uh freddie was gonna die it was like oh my god this we have to be (laughs) we have to be there for this yeah the excitement yep yep so the and look the general reception though was that was that it was excitement right and oh uh, without a doubt and and here's the thing you know this is prior to the internet so there was not you know there was there was an internet but it was barely a thing there was no there was definitely shock and awe over the movie and so you had this very divided audience right but i have to tell you they weren't that vocal yeah there were you know half the letters that went to fango were good letters and half the letters were bad letters so okay so like every other movie yeah um and the movie uh the opening weekend of the movie that's so good the opening weekend of the movie it was the second week that the fugitive had been out the fugitive opened the, the week before us yeah um, so the fugitive came in number one, we came in number two. What's great about that is that the cover of variety was number one goes to fugitive rest of box office goes to hell. So good. And I'm like, okay, that's like, that's, I'm sorry. That's better yeah, that's, than, than if we had gotten number one. Like, I'm like, I'm good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was the fugitive. I'm like, I'm sorry. You know, Harrison Ford is, he's going to kick our ass. Like that's just going to happen. Right. Yeah. Here's the thing. The movie did really well for new line and then new line put the movie out in a unrated cut and a rated cut so there's a director's cut and a and a, and and an and a rated cut the, the cut you saw it at in the theaters it was the single largest vhs that they had ever released oh my so God. it became this juggernaut they made so much let's put it this way sean cunningham after jason goes to hell 
John Cunningham bought Michael Jackson's first estate before he moved to Neverland. So the money was obscene. By the way, I never got a dollar of it, but the (laughs) money was was obscene. Okay, so New Line offered me a three picture deal on the spot. Um, The first meeting I had after on the Monday after Jason Gustavo came out, the first meeting I had was with Francis Ford Coppola. My first meeting. Okay, because he had seen the film over the weekend and loved it. And wanted to make a ninja zombie movie with me, which I was like, uh, yes, please. Yeah. Um, But Francis, we have to call it Johnny Zombie because I need my fucking title back. Exactly. (laughs) Um, uh, And then uh, I got flown to New York the following week to meet with Robert De Niro, who had also seen the film and loved it. Oh, my God. So it was like it was like this amazing moment for all this stuff. Right. At the same time. Surreal, man. It was crazy. Uh, of course, Francis Ford Coppola's uh, Zoetrope went went bankrupt again during our whole thing. Yeah. New Line got bought by Ted Turner, and he canceled all horror movies at New Line. All the horror contracts were thrown out. Um, and his baseball and, team was uh, stupid. Sorry. I well, the, it was I just it was just a silly what a silly thing to do with the house that Freddie built. I know. It's like, it's crazy. What are you doing? Like, what are you doing, dude? Like, you know, it's like someone buying Lionsgate and going, "We're going to make My Little Ponies yeah. movies," and yeah. that's all. Um, it just doesn't make any sense, but, uh, I get, start getting offered, um, Pumpkinhead to Amityville 97 Leprechaun back to the hood. Um, I get all these movies that have numbers at the end of them. And I was like, no, yeah. no, I don't want to be that guy. I just don't want to be that guy. And at that, by the way, back then. You became that guy and stayed that guy. Yeah. Like there are people, their entire careers is just movies with, with numbers at the end. Sure. And I was like, I, I just see my career being relegated to this like schlock. Yeah. That's not going to be my own original stuff. And I love the movie I had made. Like I love Jason goes to hell because by the way, and listen, when someone doesn't like the movie, I'm that's great. I get it. Like, cool. You didn't like the movie. Fine. Then I asked them, why didn't you like it? What didn't you like about it? Like, talk to me about it, right? Yeah. Doesn't sound like the the song I heard the first time. It's like, do you want the same song over and over again? Or do you want a new song? Yeah. And by the way, this is why horror fans can't have nice things. Because (laughs) everybody begs for new and original. They all want something different. But then when you give them something original, they want exactly the thing that you gave them every time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we and all did here's that the thing. Halloween yeah. ends I, I, too, right? When I go through the parts yeah. of Jason Goes to Hell, when I go like, okay, you hate the fact that Jason's, Jason gets blown up eight minutes into the movie. Like, you like that scene, but you don't like that he's blown up, and then you don't like that there's not enough hockey mask in the movie. Damn right. Fucking hate that bullshit. You're a <laughs> pussy. Fuck you. Okay. Cool. Um, you don't like that his soul is transferred from person to person. What the fuck would like this worm demon thing with the, that's Jason. <laughs> fuck you, man. Okay, cool. Great. Um, what do you think of the kills? Oh, no, badass. Badass. You know, the kills are fucking great. Okay, cool. Um, uh, tent, tent split. Pretty cool. Oh man. Like number one or number two of the franchise, like greatest kill ever. Okay, cool. Um, what did you think of Jason's look? Oh, fuck. It was insane, man, that the skin was cr- crawling around his head. Like, that was fucking awesome. There's not enough mask, man. Fuck you, you fucking pussy. Okay, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> got it. 
Um, did did you like the characters? Were the were the were the were the people in the movie cool? Yeah, no, everybody's you know, was, what about Creighton Duke? Oh, like the second best character ever in the movie. Okay, cool, cool. So you like the characters. Okay. okay. Um uh music good? Well, it's Harry Manfredini. Fuck yeah, the music's fucking great. Okay, cool. Um uh d- did you think there were enough effects in the movie? Well, like, I mean that melting man shit, that was insane, man. Like that's like that's badass. Like K and B rules. Okay. So basically you're upset that there's not enough hockey mask in the movie. That's it. That's the problem. And if I were to tell you that we have more screen time with Jason in a hockey mask in our movie than almost all the other movies, would that surprise you? Because we do. He's on screen in the hockey mask more than almost any of the other films. He is I mean, on, what, yeah. what do they... Uh... Usually it ends up like this. Well, you know, I mean, I guess it's kind of a badass movie, just not a great Friday the 13th movie. Okay. Cool. I'll take that. I'll take it. I mean, that's gotcha. actually kind of what you want, I would say. Yeah. Put your because own I was taste try- on there. I was trying to do something that was more interesting. It's like, guys, sure. look, I, you know, I can do campers at the fucking lake getting murdered all day long. That's easy to do. That's easy. That's a lot less heavy yeah. lifting for everybody I'm involved with. Or I can give you a movie that's actually about something. It Look, here's the problem with, with, with horror sequels in general. Here's the problem with these movies, because there's one big problem. The first Friday the 13th, and especially the second Friday the 13th, right? The first Friday the 13th, because Pamela's the killer, you don't know that. It's this scary idea of like, who the fuck is killing everybody yeah. and when are they going to do it, right? So the movie was scary when it came out. People were frightened of the first movie. They were equally frightened of the second movie because they didn't know who that killer was either. You didn't get to know Jason. Like, you don't have like dinner with Jason in the movie. So, you got two movies that are legit scary. If you look at the first Nightmare on Elm Street, guys, I mean, I was there when that movie opened. People were peeing themselves. They were so fucking frightened. Yeah. Right? That was a scary fucking movie. Right. No one ever roots for the, for the shark in Jaws. No one does. The problem with horror franchises is that by the third movie and sometimes by the second, the audience is rooting for the villain. They want to see the kills. All they care about is how they're going to kill them. How cool is this kill going to be? Well, here's the thing. The minute you start doing that, you're not in a scary movie anymore. There's nothing frightening about the movie. Nothing is scary. So with Jason Goes to Hell, I said, okay, I want to throw people so far off their fucking horse that they don't know what's coming next, that they're nervous. And things like blowing Jason up eight minutes in the movie, having a paunchy white dude tied naked to a table getting shaved by a much bigger black dude um that hits my my very male audience where they live and breathe yeah that's gonna make you nervous you're gonna be like what is this movie yeah like this guy's nuts who's made this movie right they're and in I youngstown you what care. the fuck <laughs> right right and i wanted you to care about the characters instead yeah. of just waiting for the shark to bite someone's head off I want you to care that their head gets bitten off. I mean, that makes perfect sense. I feel strongly that my issue with speaking of this whole, the context of this whole conversation, the, yeah. the 
the Scream franchise. Yep. I don't want to spoil anything, but I feel like we were robbed on this most recent installment of the fear of losing a legacy character mm-hmm. and the fear of, oh my gosh, how's it going to happen? Is it going to happen? And am I going to, yeah. am I going to have this extension of my family taken away from me? Mm-hmm. We got robbed on this most recent installment because it's sure like, did. you don't, you, if you don't lose anyone, you're yep. only there for what you described. It's like, oh, cool. These other ancillary little shits are going to get killed in really grotesque ways. It's going to be fun. And you're going to mm-hmm. feel weird afterwards being like, wow, what cool kills. But then afterwards, you're like, wait, my emotional attachment to why I even showed up here in the first place was not challenged at all. So I really appreciate the sentiment that you just the sentiment that you just described in relation to that, because that in a very like topical, relevant pop culture mm-hmm. sort of way. I think that's today's example of what you just described is that, you know, look, the other the, the other problem is that the franchise, um, you know, going from part one to part two alone, just from part one to part two, part one ends with Ari Lehman, who was only two years ahead of me in school at Staples High. OK, who was a friend? I knew the guy. And guess what? Um, he was a kid. So the end of the original Friday the 13th is the guy is the kid who drowned in Crystal Lake in the late fifties is now there in the, in the late night, late seventies, early eighties, 1980. Um, and he's the same age and he's pulled Alice down to the bottom. Okay. So he's a monster. That's not a person. That's a monster. Okay. But, and then, and then literally weeks later, weeks later, when Alice is at home in part two, a man that has gained at least 140 pounds of body weight, um, has grown a foot and a half and has, let's keep following it, has gotten clothes that fit him, has learned to read because the only way you could find someone back in 1980 was the white pages. So you had to read where she lived, has found a way to drive because I don't think he walked through town holding mom's head. I don't think that's how he got there, right? All of these things have happened so that he can put her head in the fridge and then (laughs) and wait for her to go get a snack. It's going to be hilarious. This is so funny. (laughs) She's going to open up the fridge and I'm going to (laughs) and then he walks back to wherever he came from. And by the way, not only does he walk back, he carries Alice's body with him. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. That's just from one to two, right? And I go, um, that's a few weeks. What the fuck are you selling me? By the way, I was 12 when that movie came out. And I'm like, what the fuck are you selling me? So here's the thing. It's why I brought the Evil Dead into it. It's why I put the Necronomicon in the movie. It's why I asked Sam Raimi if I could borrow it. And he gave it to me generously. And with not even a moment's thought, he handed me the book. Um, it's there to go, okay, all bets are off. If Pamela Voorhees would do anything to get her child back, anything, she absolutely would look into the dark arts. She's nuts. She's lost her mind. She's looking for any answer. So she gets a Necronomicon reads from it to resurrect her dead son. Now imagine this poor child, this 
handy, this handy capable child at the bottom of this lake who's been there for 20 some years in the muck and the mire who can't even see past the cold darkness that he's encased in wakes up, right? And he's terrified and he doesn't swim up to the surface because he doesn't know what to do. And then one night he sees his mother lakeside and he sees a woman kill his mom. And that's what brings him to the lake. That's what brings him to the surface. And now you've got him jumping and grabbing Alice, but he's still just this little thing, right? But the rage in him of finding his mother's head, of finding his mother's body, that rage builds and builds. And if he's been resurrected by the Necronomicon and he is, whether he's a deadite or a revenant, I love when people are like, deadite, the rule of a deadite. I'm like, fuck you, dude. Unless you're Sam Raimi, you ain't give me the rules of deadites, you, you nimrod. Um, this is, this is now you open up Pandora's box of like what Jason can be. And for me, Jason as hell's assassin, that's badass. So in my book, I was like, great. I've now, now in my logic, I've resurrected this creature, right? Who has the soul of this little boy who was bullied to death, who has the soul of a little boy who watched his mother die. And that is what's fueling this adult rage that is tearing the world apart. Great. Now, that's when we become the Rogue One of the Friday 13th franchise. Like, we, we, we make up for the fact that there is a three-meter hole in the Death Star that if you shoot into it, the whole thing explodes. We are that movie. I like that. And I love <laughs> the explanation um, and the backstory to it, which kind of brings me to... The next point is let's yeah. talk a little bit about Hearts of Darkness. Love it. Love to. Love to. Yeah. Um, we uh so I I had been I'd been asked for decades now to do a documentary about the making of this movie. And um in part I I I didn't want to do it for a couple of reasons. One, you know, things soured so badly with Sean Cunningham was like, I don't know if I want to get into all that. It got really ugly and he's just not a great guy. So I just don't want to, I don't want to do that. I don't want to rehash that and make this sort of like, what was me kind of documentary. I'm not interested. The other thing is this is shot back. You know, the movie was shot back at a time when there weren't cell phones, where there wasn't, you know, an EPK running around all day shooting behind the scenes of your movie. We just didn't do it back then. Um, there were a lot of photographs, but again, photographs you can't really use in a documentary because there's all kinds of fair use problems with mm. a photo where I can use stuff from the movie. That's okay. That's fair. So um, there's t- a couple guys, uh, uh, TJ Bowser and Corey Kaufman created a fan page for me or a, a fan page for the movie um, on my birthday a few years ago. Wow. Yeah. That's really and cool. um, and I was like, that's really sweet. Like, how cool, guys? Like, that's very nice. Well, the fan page suddenly had within days had thousands of people on it. Mm. And people were really nice. Like there was this community of people who loved the movie and were super sweet about the film. And I started interacting with all these people. And it became this really kind of, it was funny because a lot of people were talking about it on Facebook at the time. Because it was this community that wasn't snarky, that wasn't saying shit about other films. It was all positive and just like love of horror, like people just really expressing their love of horror specifically about this movie. And 
people started asking for this doc again. And I called up Bob Kurtzman, who's one of my closest friends. We still make movies together. We, we made a movie called Secret Santa that's actually um, coming out later this year. Finally got a North American distribution deal, and it's, uh, it's going to be coming out at the end of October. Um, and it's the movie I'm most proud of that I've, that I've made. Um, and so I'm talking to Bob, and I said, you know, my, my concern is that there's not a lot of behind-the-scenes footage. He goes, what are you talking about? Yeah, there is. I said, no, Bob. There wasn't anybody doing footage. He says, yeah, we did. I said, what do you mean we did? He said, K&B was shooting behind the scenes footage that whole time. I'm like, you were? <laughs> he delivered unto me over a dozen hours of footage that Whoa. he had shot during the shooting of that movie. Well, just um, behind the scenes stuff? Like all the makeup stuff. And then whenever they were shooting on set, whenever K&B was on set, which was almost every single day of the show, they were shooting behind the scenes stuff. Oh, so there's man. tons of footage of me as a 23 year old directing this movie, which is blows my yeah, mind. That's to look really at. cool. So suddenly I was like, okay, if I can get the interviews, if I can get everybody to talk about this thing, then maybe there is a documentary here. Cause this stuff is great. And so, uh, we crowdfunded the movie. I was like, look, if the fans really want it, pay for the movie and I'll make the movie. Yeah, that's fair. Like, let's do it. And we crowdfunded in record time uh, so much. So Indiegogo has kept the crowdfunding page up. It's still up to this day. Um, someone became an executive producer of it just a few months ago and gave us another five thousand dollars for the movie. I was like, holy shit. Holy great. Shit. Finishing yeah. funds. Fantastic. Um, and we are, I'm literally going to be in a meeting in another 12 minutes. I'm going to be in a meeting, um, uh, with the composer who get, who just got the film two days ago and he starts work this weekend writing the score for the movie. Um, and it's badass. Like the movie is really cool. Like it's a really cool movie and it's not the movie anyone is expecting. Like it is so different than what people are, are waiting for. Wow. And it's different in a great way. Um, the movie is really funny. Like it's weirdly funny. Um, and, uh, and it's badass. Like you get to see all the behind scenes stuff on all the grossest stuff in the movie and how it was built and all that cool shit. That's um, awesome. but it's also really about, you know, about the people who made this thing. And there's like a love affair that all of us ended up having with each other 30 years later in, in conversations with one another. It's, it's really cool. It's really cool to see where everybody landed, how everybody's lives were going. And I got to tell you, like the, the other thing that's really cool. So, you know, there's like a four hour cut of this movie that I'm like, absolutely not. We're going to make a movie that goes to festivals and that can, you know, that is a movie we're making a movie. So the end result is a little over a hundred minutes long, right? Originally we wanted the movie not to be longer than Jason goes to hell, but I was like, eh, it could be a few minutes longer. So, <laughs> This the movie which Michael Michael Felsher, who is the director of the film, and Eric Beatner, who who edited the movie. The, Eric Beatner has been one of my best friends since we were fourteen years old. So Eric is also a ten-time nominated Emmy-nominated editor for The Amazing Race and Fear Factor. He's a brilliant editor, mm. and so this is a guy who literally I've walked my whole life with, you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then Michael Felsher, who was George Romero's personal documentarian for the last fifteen years of his life is the director of this film. And um, I, I could not be more blessed, like with the storytellers here, they are, they are amazing. But what's awesome is that the Blu-ray of the movie, right? We're actually making Blu-rays of the movie. you're speaking my language. Yeah. You, you know it. 
dude, there's going to be so much extra footage. Like everything we cut from that long cut, we're putting on the disc. Mm. So it's like you get a movie that is a satisfying sit down, watch a movie documentary. And then there's just tons of like extra shit. Um, there's even an extra about the battle with Sean Cunningham. So like, it's all there. I love it. So what's, uh, do you have distribution plans and timeline and and whatnot? We, we, we don't right now. We have a lot of people who want distribution on the movie. We have not chosen, chosen a distributor yet. Um, we, we, we are leaning in one particular direction, but I can't say yet. Um, the movie has been requested by uh, a very important international festival, that's been wonderful to me over the years. And, and so I have a, a, a really strong loyalty to them. Sure. Um, so we're working out some stuff with them right now, but um, it's coming soon. It's coming really soon. And t- in fact, tomorrow I'm going to be at monster Palooza in Pasadena and I'm going to be showing the first four and a half minute sizzle reel from the movie. Oh, ooh, so yeah. So people will finally get to see a little, a little taste of uh, hearts of darkness. Well, Adam, we'll we'll let you go, man. But again, thank you so much. This was my pleasure, guys. Truly an honor for us. Yeah, so thanks, was... and we'll keep in touch with you. Please do. You guys are amazing. Take care. Good luck with everything, Adam. Take care, man. <laughs> <laughs>